and welcome to the Spud Fit Podcast, episode 10. Can you believe I've done 10 episodes now? Amazing. Today's episode is with uh, Alan Goldhammer, the founder of True North Health Center, uh, where I was lucky enough to be able to visit while I was in Santa Rosa for the McDougal Advanced Study Weekend. Uh, it was it was a really, really cool place. Uh, I was I'd taken on a personal tour there by Dr. Michael Clapper, uh, along with uh, Dustin Rudolph, last week's guest. We, we had a personal tour and we were able to look around at uh, the whole place, basically. I, I went to, I had lunch there a couple of times and I attended lectures that they put on there for all the guests. Uh, and I spoke to some really cool people and it was, uh, it really felt like home to me, that place. It felt so nice to be uh, fully surrounded and um, engulfed in people who were just there to try to improve their health and improve their lives. And um, it was just really, really good vibes there. Uh, so today, it's a, it was uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to Dr. Alan Goldhammer. Not only is he uh, the founder and uh you know the dude in charge of true north health but uh, he also along with doug lyle next week's guest uh wrote one of my favorite books the pleasure trap so that was uh an instrumental book in uh in my year i read it uh six weeks after i started my spud fit challenge my year of eating only potatoes and uh, and it really helped to make me feel better about uh about the choices that I've made. Anyway, before we get into it, uh, a bit about me. Uh, most people listening probably know that I ate nothing but potatoes last year. Uh, I lost a lot of weight and I, I changed my relationship with food and uh, things went really great. So if you'd like to learn more about how to do that for yourself, then you can go to uh, www.spudfit.com and you can check out uh, the DIY Spud Fit Challenge, which is a book that's for sale on there. It's also on Amazon. If you want to find, you can order paperback or uh, or ebook on Amazon or iBooks as well. It's called the DIY Spud Fit Challenge: A How-To Guide to Doing Your Own Spud Fit Challenge. Uh, I also run a private group where I guide people through doing their own SpudFit challenge. So you can find more information about that by going to spudfit.com and clicking on the link that says take the challenge and, uh, and you can join us in the group and, um, and maybe do something about your own relationship with food and possibly improve your health along the way too. Uh, if you like what I'm doing, then please share it, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, that means a lot to me to try to get the word out about what I'm doing. It's really, really helpful. And last but not least, uh, we have a, a sponsor for the podcast today. Well, not really. It's my wife's business, but sort of a sponsor. Can I, I'm going to call it a sponsor. The Daiquiri. If you are interested in super comfy, super cozy works of art to wear on your bum, then get some. Then go to the Daiquiri. It's t h e d a k k e r y dot com. Uh, they're organic um, bamboo and cotton, uh, and they're super comfy. And they're designed uh, and screen printed in Australia. They're designed by true artists. Uh, 
and they're screen hand screen printed in Australia and made in Australia and uh all ethical and and all good stuff. Um so yeah, if you want to support my wife Mandy who incidentally also did a great job of putting together the uh little jingle that you're about to hear, then um yeah, go to the dacery.com. All right. On to, the, on to today's podcast, we're going to talk about all things fasting and nutrition and good health. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, Alan is, uh, is a, a fountain of knowledge and also of good humor. So uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Spot up. All right, here we are with Alan Goldhammer of uh, True North Health Centre. I always like to uh, start these interviews off with a very simple question. Who is Alan Goldhammer? <laughs> well, I'm the guy that's been doing fasting supervision for the last 32 years here at the True North Health Centre. Uh, my background is I, I went to uh, chiropractic college uh, in uh, Oregon, and then I went to osteopathic college in Australia, and I studied with a guy named Alec Burton, who had a lot of experience using medically supervised water-only fasting and treating conditions like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and autoimmune disorders. And when I came back in, uh, to the United States in 1984, my wife, Dr. Morano, and I founded the True North Health Center. We've been doing this ever since. All right. Uh, so it's a, I guess it's a long sort of journey to getting here. So how did you initially get into just nutrition? What was your, what sparked your initial interest in nutrition? Mostly, I was uh, interested in. Um, it was fourth grade, and I was uh, very frustrated because I was being beaten consistently by Dr. Lyle in uh, basketball. I knew Doug Lyle. Hi there. Growing up, and uh, practice didn't seem to help because he also practiced. So I thought I would look for an edge, and I read yeah. a book by Herbert Shelton on natural hygiene. I thought, you know, that made a lot of sense. Okay. That I was looking through your bookshelf in reception. Is that the book I saw there? There's a down the bottom shelf, I think it said something about natural hygiene. Yeah, I don't know if it, the book that I read was there. Yeah. Man, uh, Human Life, uh, Its Philosophy and Laws was the book that I read oh, okay. by, yeah. by Shelton. And, yeah. uh, but it made sense. And I thought, well, I'll try that plant-based SOS-free diet and see whether or not That'll give me an edge so I can yeah. beat Dr. Well, of course, it failed because he adopted the same diet and to this day. He still beats me every time yeah, right. we play. So that was in uh, fourth grade, you said. Mm. Uh, I think the grades are different in Australia. How old are you when you're, when you're in fourth grade? Oh, I think I was probably 12 years old. 12 and, years old. Yeah. Right. That's uh, really early to start thinking about that sort of thing. Yeah, I was committed to it by the time I was about 16. Yeah, right. And... Uh, but again, you know, even though it failed in my uh, desire to beat Doug, I, it certainly got me interested. I met Dr. Gerald Benish um, yeah. when I was a teenager, and he said that he had the best job in the whole world because the patients did all the work, the body did all the healing, and all <laughs> he had to do was take credit for the good results. And I thought, that's the job yeah. for me. <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me too, yeah. Uh, so I first, uh, came, I want to say came in contact, but that's not the right word. I, I first heard of you uh, when I read your book, uh, the Pleasure Trap, the, yeah. you wrote, the one you wrote with uh, Doug Lyle. Um, I, uh, I did my year of potato-only fasting, for want of a better word, but I ate only potatoes for all of last year. And maybe six weeks into it, I made a video on my YouTube blog called um, 
my thoughts on moderation or something like that. And uh, because I'd been getting all these comments from media experts saying that moderation is what I should be doing. So I gave my thoughts on moderation and then I got a few messages from people saying you should check out this book, The Pleasure Trap. So I got it. And of course, the first thing I read was the myths on moderation, the chapter was called. And that was, uh, it really made me feel good to know that because uh, I hadn't read these ideas anywhere. It was just ideas I had on my own. And then I, I read this chapter uh, in the book and it really just made me feel good about uh, the path that I was on. So first of all, I've got to thank you for that. It really, um, yeah, it really helped. Uh, but anyway, I loved the book. I did read the rest of the book as well <laughs> once I read that. And, uh, and there's a few ideas that I really loved from the book. Uh, and one of the big ideas I got from that was that we as human beings are designed to seek food and and seek calories so can you talk about that a little bit well you know if you think about humans uh in terms of where we evolved we evolved in an environment of scarcity in fact it was so difficult for human beings to get enough to eat and avoid being eaten that most of them didn't the Mm. vast majority of humans born on the planet never lived long enough to reproduce and so they didn't pass on their genes and they're not your relatives they're the losers (laughs) the winners were the ones that did get enough to eat did uh survive and reproduce and because they evolved in an environment of scarcity the people that survived had basic attributes that allowed them to survive in this harsh environment and part of that was the brain's ability to reward the body when it engaged in behaviors that favor survival and reproduction, which essentially is, is eating and sex. Yeah. So food and sex become the normal natural stimulants of the dopamine that the body rewards us with, which induces a response we call pleasure. Yeah. So f- foods taste good to us because they result in the stimulation of dopamine in the brain. And the higher the caloric density, the more valuable the food is in an evolutionary viewpoint and the more dopamine is secreted. So basically, higher caloric density, more dopamine tastes better. And that worked fine in a natural setting where foods had limited caloric density, but then when we started processing foods, we learned how to hyper-concentrate them, and you got hypernormal stimuli, and as a consequence, now people can be artificially stimulated to induce dopamine response, and that leads to what we call the pleasure trap. In the case of the dietary pleasure trap, it works very much like uh, drugs do. That, you know, at first you take drugs because they make you feel good and then you have to keep taking drugs to avoid feeling bad yeah uh, kind of the hallmark of addiction with food uh, uh with chemicals added to the food things like sugar oil uh and the like uh you you eat them because you like the way it makes you feel but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing yeah so I, that, along those sort of lines i've been coaching some people myself not many but a few and uh and when i one of the first things i talk about with people when they're obese and uh and addicted to food is is the idea that uh if these people were back in the the hunter gatherer times they would have been the people that were really good at finding food because that's the way their brains are tuned they're they're excellent at finding food and if they happen to stumble across a uh, a donut tree back in the day they would have been the ones in the tribe that were really good at remembering how to find the donut trees and really good at um maybe they would have figured out how to help them grow and they'd be good at knowing when they're in season and all those sorts of things. So they would have helped their tribe survive. Is that a, an well, accurate thing, do you think? I would say that there's another consideration is the people that are able to gain weight easily generally have pretty good plumbing. Yep. That is, they can okay. absorb what they yep. eat. You know, some people can eat a similar amount of food, but they don't do an as efficient a job of absorbing what they're eating. Or maybe okay. they don't have as sensitive a satiety yep. or a more sensitive a satiety response, and so they wouldn't eat 
as much. So I think that if you look at overweight people, you'll find a couple things. One, they tend to be a little bit less sensitive in terms of satiation. Yeah. And two, they have a, an effective and efficient means of absorbing what they're eating. All right. So being fat um, uh, is really more, uh, not so much an assessment of psychology or any other variable, as much as the fact that you are more vulnerable to the artificial effects of the pleasure trap. Yeah. So whereas one person may feel full a little bit earlier, even eating highly concentrated foods, other people don't get normal satiation yeah. feedback, and they will gain weight, and they'll gain it predictably uh, and consistently. Yeah. And so the good news is, if you're overweight and you want to lose weight, the key is to reduce the caloric density of the food so that your brain is no longer being fooled. Yeah. Um, the downside, the negative part of it is, if you eat highly concentrated foods, if you eat the sugar, the oil, the highly processed foods, you will get fat. The only question is, how fat do you want to be? <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. It, you know, the more or less you eat will determine how fat you're going to be. You're not going to be able to say, "Well, I'll just eat a little less." You know, we know that for many people that doesn't I've tried that a million doesn't work. Times Absolutely, <laughs> it also doesn't work for alcoholics. You know, yeah. alcoholics, uh, you can tell them, "We'll just drink less, and you'll be okay." But of course, it doesn't work. Yeah, and um, it doesn't mean some people can't drink and and be well within uh, tolerance. But for those that can't, uh, you know, the best solution for them is to not drink yeah. and for people that can't control uh, their use of artificially concentrated chemicals like sugar and oil the best strategy is just don't use those in the diet yeah. for people that adopt a whole foods exclusively plant-based diet that's SOS free we, we talk about SOS as the international symbol of danger yeah. and it also stands for sugar or refined carbohydrates yeah. oil and salt if you eliminate uh, SOS and you go exclusively plant food most people find they will consistently lose weight males yeah about three pounds a week, females about two pounds a week. Yeah, well, I certainly found that with, uh, with potatoes. And uh, yeah, the reason for that story uh, that I told about, you know, finding the donut tree is, uh, is to make people uh, think, stop people from believing that they're broken or something's wrong with them somehow. So the way you talked about the plumbing being uh, really good is just, I guess, just backs up the point that people are working perfectly. There's nothing right. wrong with their body or their mind that's doing exactly what they should do. In fact, if you yeah. think about it, the people that uh, gained weight easily were, the, were our, our ancestors. That's why we have those genes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those skinny ones that could eat anything, and they didn't make it. Yeah. You know, like, like I said, yeah. they're the losers. Yeah, so the yeah. ones that could gain extra weight, hold on to their weight, they're the ones that survive. Yeah. the long boat ride or the yeah. one spring came late yeah, yeah so i don't think we should look at being overweight as being our bodies against us it's just that we have to live in an environment that's more supportive to our capacities yeah so those donut trees are always in season these days <laughs> uh all right so back to the the moderation myths i, I talked about the, the the myths of moderation in that video that i talked about but uh, i'd like to hear your thoughts on it as well well i think that when you think about moderation you should think about it in relation to any normal activity yeah. so you can have uh you can eat healthy foods in moderation you can have sex in moderation you can exercise in moderation but you can't really talk about moderating something that has no normal relationship to the human organism so yeah. i don't really you know uh look at something, for example, uh, and say that if this is a toxic substance in, in large quantity, it's still a toxic substance in smaller quantity. It's yeah. just less toxic. Yeah, okay, yeah, Same, yeah. Being Something being less bad, they'll say, well, using this drug is less bad than using that drug. <laughs> well, something being less bad doesn't make it good. It yeah. just makes it less bad. Yeah. And so I think what <laughs> we should try to focus in on is the positive things that we can do that support health and happiness. 
And those include diet, sleep, and exercise. So yeah. getting moderate amounts of exercise, getting appropriate amounts of sleep, and engaging in a health-promoting plant-based SOS-free diet. If yeah. you do that, most people get so healthy and happy, they don't have time to worry about all the little yeah. details. Yeah, what you said about things being less bad is, is funny to me because I've been vegan for a long time and people go, what, you were vegan? How are you so fat when you were vegan? And I go, well, maybe vegan junk food might not be as bad as non-vegan junk food, but that certainly doesn't mean it's good. And, well, Clement, yeah. <laughs> vegan just implies there's no animal food yeah. that I use. I, I get myself in trouble sometimes speaking at vegetarian groups because I'll, I'll point out that you know, being a vegan may help you get into heaven because of your moral, ethical, and spiritual <laughs> yeah, yeah. benefits, but it's not going to delay how quickly you go there unless you also <laughs> adopt an SOS-free diet. Yeah. You know, French fries, uh, soda pop, all of these things could be vegan in the sense there's no animal food, but it doesn't make them healthy. Yeah. So what, that's what we talk about, an exclusively plant food diet that's also SOS-free. Yeah. And if you do that, then you've got yourself in pretty good stead for supporting health and happiness. Yeah. So this SOS free idea, that's something that I'm working on now. For last year, I ate only potatoes, as I said, but I did occasionally put salt on them, according to you know McDougall, who says salt's not great, but if you've got to put salt on it to help you stick to it, then maybe that's okay. And uh, I use like ketchup or something sometimes, and uh, I l tried to get ones like ketchup barbecue sauce or whatever that didn't have added sugar but sometimes i used it and i never used oil though ever at all um so what are your thoughts on that is a little bit okay or you're better off just well getting rid i of think it, it yeah. depends on the person you know yeah. for some people a little bit becomes a lot yeah it's very difficult to regulate quantity and for other people you know a, a little bit maybe within their adaptive capacity so depending on what you're talking about in the case yeah. of something like sodium you know, we're, our target is around 1,200 milligrams of sodium a day. That's about the amount of sodium that's naturally in the food. Yeah, okay. Um, but there's obviously a variation in there uh, in terms of how well people can tolerate. If you have a person that has high blood pressure, that they're salt sensitive, they have congestive heart failure, they've got edema, they've got swelling, yeah. you know, they may be better off completely avoiding the added salt uh, because their tolerances are limited. Somebody else, you know, it may not be as big of an issue if, yeah. if trace amounts of salt are sneaking into the diet. Uh, the same kind of thing can be said, for example, uh, when you're trying to lose weight. The best strategy is eating whole plant food. Yep. What about things like dried fruits and juices and, and blenderized foods? You know, for many people, increasing caloric density may not be a negative issue and yep. it work well. But if you're trying to lose weight, the closer you get to whole food, the easier it is for your brain to regulate precisely how much you're eating. Yeah, so okay. we just encourage people to shift in that direction whole plant food. So they're getting up, they're having fruit, they're having salads, steamed vegetables, potatoes, rice, beans, maybe a little bit of nuts and seeds, and avoiding all the meat, fish, fat, eggs, dairy products, salt, yeah. and sugar that predominate the average person's diet. 93% of calories today in industrialized countries are either animal food or highly processed, chemicalized 7% comes from fruits and vegetables, but a third of that is potatoes. But often, <laughs> potatoes are sort of french fries and potato <laughs> oh, chips. That is so you've got to realize that fruits and vegetables don't even make a statistically significant percentage of the diet of most people living in industrialized countries. They're the decoration on the plate. We've completely abandoned Whole Foods. And that's why when you go out sometimes to a restaurant or even a store, you're shocked to find there's not very much Whole Foods. <laughs> even yeah. if you shop at a wonderful store like Whole Foods Market, there's very little whole foods in whole foods market. Most of yeah. it is meat, fish, fowl, eggs, dairy products, alcohol, and highly processed foods. Yeah. And a little bit of fruits and vegetables. I, Thank I did notice that because we don't have uh, the whole foods markets in Australia. So, yeah, when I came here and the first time I went there, I was expecting this massive store full of just fresh fruit and vegetables. And it's 
really a lot like every other supermarket I've been to. It's probably a little bit bigger, that fresh food section, but you've still got all these aisles of processed food. Of course, I kind of think that... Just organic. All that... uh, (laughs) processed stuff and alcohol and all that maybe that's a way of subsidizing uh the store so they can afford to carry the uh, healthy foods that we're all interested in so yeah that's a that's an interesting way to look at it so uh we've talked about what uh, the perfect diet is is do you personally eat that all the time or do you ever have uh days where you have a little bit of junk food or anything like that yeah well i'm very fortunate because i live at the true north health center and yep. I, so I have 20 of my 21 meals a week here okay, yeah, yeah, at work. Yeah. And of course, at, at True North, we have exclusively plant food, SOS-free food. And at home, I eat the same diet. So yeah. I, I started an experiment, uh, as I said, when I was around uh, 16. And I decided I would try it for 50 years and then decide whether it was working. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 58 right now. I, I've still got a few years to go yeah. in my experiment. So so far, it seems to be working. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> 50 years, that's a long time. Well, I ask my patients to do the same thing. Once they get on the program, we ask them to stick to it diligently for 50 years, and then they can determine whether or not it's working and if they want to continue. In fact, I just saw my first 30-year follow-up on a patient. This gentleman is now 85. He was 55 when I first saw him. He had cardiovascular disease. He was not happy having to go on a plant-based diet, but he agreed to do it. He was wondering if he had to do it forever, and I assured him it was just an experiment, and we would do it for 50 years. That's where <laughs> yeah, I started. Yeah. So now here he is 30 years later. I haven't seen him in 14 years. He yeah, came right. in wow. for a checkup. He said he was doing just fine, examined him, and uh, he said that it seems to be working because all his friends are dead. Yeah. Ah, he told me that uh, one of his children had died of a cardiac arrest uh, who was not doing the program, and he said he would continue for 20 more years to honor his commitment to me, but after that he couldn't make any promises. <laughs> he made That's another appointment man. in 14 more years when he's 99, <laughs> but he said if anything comes up, he'll let me know. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what about cheat days then? Like you hear all of these different diets these days have, you know, one day a week you can just have as much junk as you want. What, what are your thoughts on those? Well, I, I think it's a lot easier actually just to eat good every single day, every single meal, than it is to tease yourself with some of these highly attractive, artificially concentrated, stimulating food. So for me, I don't consider myself that strong-willed, so it's easier for me to just eat good every single day uh, than it is to try to kind of tease myself and then have to have a lot of discipline yeah, at resisting uh, and restraining. So for me, it's easier just to do it right every day. Yeah, that's I'm the same. I, I've, thought of, I've tried those diets with cheat days before, and all that happens is that I spend the whole week planning and looking forward to cheat day, and then cheat day comes and I go crazy, and then I go back to eating healthy the next day, but I just can't get the cheat day out of my head. So. I think a lot yeah. of people also ex- experience that, you know, the longer you do this, the more you like the simple whole natural foods and the yep. less appealing those artificially concentrated foods are. So you, you, you miss less and less the longer you do it until eventually you get to the point you don't even really remember. Yeah, uh, even to the point for me where I arrived at, uh, at the McDougal conference the other day and I had a, a, uh, a McDougal brownie, which is... Uh, I don't actually know what's in it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure what's in those brownies, but I just assumed it was good because it, ha- it was a McDougal one. But so I ate it, and uh, and it was it was a good brownie. But I really didn't think about it again until just now, and that was four days ago. So I, the I problem just with some liked, of this yeah. cheating business is for some people they have sensitive insulin and blood sugar levels. So if they have a little bit, it's not that the little bit itself is going to overwhelm them, but the effect that it has on their satiety, on their mm. their cravings. And that's why a little bit becomes a lot relatively yeah. easily. And then you're constantly having to fight yourself uh, to yeah. try to restrain. Once you get free of it, it's kind of, I equate, equate it to being like an alcoholic. Yeah. It's a lot easier to just not drink than to try to drink and then try to fight yeah. 
with yourself. Yeah, I've said that lots of times that I've, I had this realization that my food addiction was the same. I was treating food the same way as an alcoholic would and, uh, and I just couldn't do that anymore. Uh, all right, enough about diet. So we're at True North Health Center. Can you tell us about what happens at True North Health Center? Well, we have some rather novel things that happen here. It's very unlike most uh, approaches in medicine is because our patients actually can get well. Yeah. So if you have high blood pressure or diabetes or autoimmune disease or lymphoma and you go to a conventional doctor, they're going to tell you to take this drug and that drug and this drug and that drug. And the promise is if you'll do exactly what you're told, you'll never get well. You'll yeah. be sick the rest of your life. They guarantee you. Yeah. And that's why they tell you you'll be on these drugs forever because they're telling you you will never, ever get well. Whereas our experience is very different. If people are willing to do dangerous and radical things like eat good and exercise, <laughs> go to bed on time, and undergo yeah. medically supervised water-only fasting, they can actually overcome these problems like high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes. And they can manage these conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. And they can um, uh, control uh, the problems in some conditions, even uh, such as lymphoma. So there, there is a hope, but it entails healthful living. Yeah. And so what we're about here, we're a residential health education program. We teach people how to live healthy so the body can do what it does best, and that's heal itself. Yeah. And we do that with diet, uh, sleep, exercise, and with probably what's most unique is medically supervised water-only fasting. So we have patients after undergoing appropriate medical screening uh, go on water-only fast for up to 40 days. And then after that, they uh, learn and how to use a plant-based SOS-free diet, uh, appropriate exercise and sleep instruction. And uh, for the patients that we accept, we have very good results. We've published a lot of studies. We're publishing more now. As a 501c3 nonprofit organization, the True North Health Foundation, uh, its mission is basically public education and research. Yeah. So we have a research team, and we have a, a, a website, fasting.org, and we're able to um, try to bring this message of healthful living to the public, both through uh, our, our uh, written and, and as well as we have a speakers mm. bureau. We try to reach out as best we can. We speak at many of the chiropractic, naturopathic schools, some of the yeah. medical schools. We have an internship training program. We train about 30 doctors a year in the use of All right, right. Uh, fasting and diet in managing <clears throat> conditions. We have uh, patients, we have a thousand patients a year that undergo uh, fasting at the True North Health Center. They come from all over the world. And um, the staff of 53 that make up the um, center 53. staff, we have 53 wow. people currently um, that are uh, make up the staff of the True North Health Center. I can just pause this if you like. No. And um, they're involved in. Uh, we have medical doctors, chiropractors, naturopaths. We have clinical psychologists. We have uh, exercise physiologists. We've got people that are uh, chefs, that are cooking instructors, a wide variety of skill sets that help bring this message as a whole to our patients. Yeah, that was one of the things that I was really impressed with the other day. I, I was lucky enough to get a tour with uh, Dr. Michael Clapper. And, uh, and I, before I came here, I thought this... It, it's a, I already thought it would be amazing just a place where you go and do water fasting, but I didn't realize the extent of uh, everything else that's involved here. So uh, we, we, like you said about um, the cooking demonstrations and the lectures you have and, uh, and what you, you talked about improving sleep and uh, exercise and all that as well. So yeah, it's a really very holistic approach that you've got here. It's not just about come here, drink water only for a while and go home. 
It's uh, you're setting people up for life. Um, can we maybe? Oh, sorry, to go backwards a little bit. You said you you don't actually accept every. Not everyone can water fast. So what? How? What's that screening process that you go through to decide who can? Well, the way that it works is people first go to our website at healthpromoting.com and they complete what are called the registration forms, and that gets us their medical history information. And we often have them uh, email us their. Um, med records, blood tests, whatever they've had done already. Then we review that and offer a free phone conversation so they can call and talk to me and I help them evaluate, one, whether or not there's things they can do that they're not already doing that might be helpful. Yep. Two, whether or not fasting might be an appropriate tool for them. And three, if there's anything else we can think of that might be useful to them in terms of getting them back where they want to go. All right, so yeah. it's not just, all right, come here and fast. It's like Once we get yeah, through yeah. that screening process, yeah. for the people that are good candidates for what we do, they'll all be assigned one of our doctors. We have uh, fa really fabulous doctors here, Dr. Michael Clapper, Dr. Anthony Lim, Dr. Peter Sultana. We also have four naturopathic physicians. We yeah. have chiropractors. So they're, they're assigned a primary care doctor who goes through their medical history exam on arrival and then guides their uh, uh, care during the stay and is available for follow-up after they're done. While they're here, they're seen twice a day by our staff doctors um, uh, to make sure everything's going okay, their questions are answered. We have three educational programs a day that are live presentations, you know, cooking classes, lectures, meditation, yoga, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the bit that's so amazing to me that they can come here and get so much education. They're not just here and lying in bed and drinking water. Yeah. We also uh, have an extensive video program we've put together that they can watch yeah. subjects of their interest. They're seen twice a day by a staff doctor to make yeah. sure everything's going okay and their questions are answered. And then when they're done, uh, we prepare you know recommendations for them, hopefully that they'll, they'll stick to when they go home. Yeah. Uh, many of our patients are also involved in our active clinical research protocols. So they're involved in the studies that we're doing. So there may be some additional monitoring and measurements yep. that are taken, uh, questionnaires that are filled out, et cetera. And then the, uh, the goal is to you know, get people to make these diet and lifestyle changes and sustain these lifestyle changes so we can get good long-term outcome data. Yeah. And do you find that, uh, that we talked a little bit about addiction and for me it was uh, quitting food except potatoes to help me break that addiction. Do you find that uh, the water fasting helps to actually break the addictive behaviours. Does it? Do, do you think it changes something in people's brains that makes them not want uh, to go back to eating? Well, we do or? absolutely know that there's powerful changes that occur in fasting. One of them is involves taste and irritation. In fact, we're doing a study right now that's quantifying the changes in taste, your actual taste right, perception yeah. before and after fasting. What happens is. Um, Food, when you come in, oftentimes is uh, that if it's SOS-free, people aren't used to it. They don't like it. Uh, in fact, you know, this is had a uh, patient who was actually the first union patient we had treated. We became a fully covered medical benefit for one of the major oh, yeah. labor unions. And the very first person they sent us was a diabetic, hypertensive guy, grossly yep. overweight. And they sent him in to get well, but they, they didn't tell him what the program was. <laughs> they just said, go to the True North Health and they'll get you well, and then you can go back to operating your train. Yeah. And the guy shows up, and you know he's a kind of a crusty guy, and he uh, looks around, he says, oh, I think I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> and I said, no, you're, I got you on the list here. And he says, no, no, I, I'm in the wrong place. And I said, no, you're here to get well. He says, no, I'm not sick. Oh. I said, you are sick. Yeah. You got high blood pressure, 220 yeah. over 120. You got diabetes. Yeah. You're grossly overweight. And I thought this would get him. I said, yeah. and you're going to die. <laughs> and he says, yeah, well, aren't we all going to die? Yeah. I said, well, yeah, but you know, you're on $800 a month worth of medications. If we got you healthy, you wouldn't need the medications. 
And he says, what do I care? The union pays for the drugs. All right. And I said, well, you know, if we get you off the drugs, we might be able to do something about your little problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then he kind of started to stand up, and I thought, uh-oh. And he says, well, why the hell didn't you just say so? <laughs> but when we're trying to check yeah. him in, we're giving him some food, and he can't eat the food. I'm thinking he must have a tumor or something, because he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I said, it looks like you're having trouble eating the food. He says, this is not food. He said, this is disgusting. <laughs> he says, if I have to eat tasteless yeah. swill like this, I'd rather just die. Yeah, right. He says, why don't you go out to my truck, get my 12-gauge when I'm not looking, just shoot me in the head. <laughs> so we checked him in. He fasts 26 days. When he's done fasting, not only is his blood sugar and blood pressure normalized, but now he's going to eat food after the fast, and he can actually eat the food. Yeah. And when I asked him, I said, it looks like you're doing better with the food now. He says, yeah, your damn chef's finally getting the hang of it. Yeah. <laughs> it took 20 minutes yeah. to convince him it was the same food. What had happened is yeah. he had neuroadapted. Yeah. And so what used to be tasteless swill was now... Not bad. Yeah. And he was able to do that. And so that's one of the real benefits of fasting is people that just don't like eating good food. Sometimes after fasting, they find they can eat good food. In fact, that's one of the signs I have that I know somebody needs to fast is when good food doesn't taste good to them. Yeah. Well, at the, at the end of my year of potatoes, I never liked broccoli before. Right. And, uh, and yeah, it tastes amazing now. I love broccoli. Right. You know, it tastes the same as it always tastes, but now you can tell. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And even to like, Brussels sprouts were the worst thing in the world. And, uh, and I came here and had a little bit of lunch the other day. And I tried the Brussels sprouts. I wouldn't say I like them now, but they don't make me want to run outside and well, vomit, you know? <laughs> I'll make you bet. Yeah. Let's do a fast with you. And then let's see what you, yeah, what you think I'll, about Brussels yeah, sprouts. Because right. the potato diet will absolutely help you get neuroadapted. But fasting is yeah. even more powerful. Yeah, so maybe yeah. that's what it'll take to get you yeah. to like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> All right. I would love to try it one day. I would really, I'd love to. It's so interesting to me. Well, you know, we've yeah. got a bit. When we're done with this interview, we yeah. can talk about it. <laughs> All right. Um, so my idea is I didn't think about this ad- adaption in taste buds. My ideas before I started the potato thing was that I realized that I was relying on food for comfort and enjoyment and emotional support and I figured that if I made my food boring then I wouldn't get that dopamine hit from from eating and I would have to find other areas of life to get those comfort enjoyment emotional support is that something you work on here at all well actually it turns out making the food quote boring uh, only works for a while because eventually as you taste nerd depth the food gets better and better eventually you can get the same net dopamine you just don't get it in an artificially intense bump So you, anytime you have that artificial stimulation, there's also compensatory depression, which leads to more overeating. Okay. Yep. This there tends to be a much more stable response, and people don't get the cravings as much. Yeah. And it's interesting. Some people like they quit smoking by the second day. They often report no cravings. I so coming see. off a lot of addictions like alcohol and cigarettes actually is much easier fasting than feeding. Now some people yep. say, yeah, they're so miserable fasting, they're not thinking about the cigarettes or the alcohol. But in reality, it's the metabolic products associated with the withdrawal. Just are it goes through much quicker. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so have you, you talk about other addictions then, have you here treated addiction? Just like have people like a heroin addict or something come here to fast to get off addiction? Is that? Yeah, we, we treat here? a lot of people that are addicted both to recreational and prescription medications. We probably treat more prescription medication addiction than we do recreational. Yeah. Uh, because a person that just wants to quit using drugs would go usually to a uh, drug treatment facility. Yeah. People come here because they want to get healthy. This yeah. is much more difficult. Okay, yeah. You know, quitting a, a drug or drinking or smoking is hard enough, but to actually adopt a health-promoting diet and lifestyle, that's a completely different kind of person. 
And so for those people, our success rates tend to be quite high. Now, some people are addicted. For example, they become addicted to pain medications because they were given pain medications by a well-meaning but misguided doctor for the treatment of you know, some kind of medical condition. Um, those individuals weren't crushing their oxycodone to get high. They were taking drugs to me- modulate pain, yeah. often which can be resolved with things like fasting and conservative yeah. care. Once you resolve the pain, then there's not uh, the psychological dependence going back to the drugs mm, yeah, for uh, nourishment, entertainment, or, or recreation. Yeah. So I think in our patient population, we see a very good success rate, but our population is not necessarily the population of the general public yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, so, all right. So we, we finished this interview. We go and check me in for a fast. What could I expect? What's a day in the life of a fast? Well, first thing, we'd go through a proper history exam and, and uh, review your, your lab studies. Make sure we have a good game plan. Uh, then what would happen is first thing in the morning, you'd be seen by one of the staff doctors. They would do vitals. They would answer your questions. You'd go to a, a class at 10 a.m. Uh, with the other people that are participating in the program. Um, you'd have a break. We'd have another class early afternoon. There's another break, and then there'd be another class in the evening. Uh, in the afternoon, you'd also be seen again by one of the staff doctors. Get your vitals taken. Any cup evaluation. If there was uh, a particular problem that we were treating, you know, you might see the massage therapist or chiropractor or whatever psychologist, whatever it is that's relevant. There's an extensive video educational program. You go through those at your own pace. You get a lot of rest. It's a tremendous time to do introspection. Uh, people learn how to do yoga, meditation, et cetera, while they're here. Um, and then once you're done with the fasting process, you know, you've gotten through your 20, 30, 40 days, whatever it is, uh, then we begin the refeeding process where we start with fresh fruit and vegetable juices, perhaps broth, and then raw fruits and vegetables, and then steamed starchy vegetables until you're on a full mixed diet of exclusively plant food, SOS-free food. You might work out with our trainer. We have yep. a wonderful trainer here, David Goldman. Um, you might... Uh, take advantage of the beautiful area that we live in here in Santa Rosa. It is beautiful. Lovely yeah. hiking and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you'd also interact with 60 people from around the world that are also interested like you yeah. in actually getting and staying healthy. And oftentimes that seems to be a really beneficial part of this program. Yeah, just, I guess that would Interacting be. with other people that don't think you're a whack job just because yeah. you want to get healthy. Yeah, yeah, just everything that you're, uh, any, any lifestyle change that you want to make, if you want to go and do a triathlon, you should probably go and join a triathlon club and be around other triathletes. So I guess that's something I hadn't thought of until just now, being around other people that are interested in fasting and good health. That would certainly be a, a bonus. And, you know, most of our staff either live on site or live nearby. They're intimately involved in the day-to-day activities. And so interacting with all of the different doctors and staff, I think, is also helpful for yeah. people. Now, I've heard people say that uh, that fasting is, or can be anyway, a, a very spiritual journey and uh, that probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Is that something you focus on here or is it just something that happens? Well, it is interesting that every major religion from the Jains to the Jews to the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Christians, everybody's got a tradition of fasting. All right. And the reason is because fasting changes how you see yourself and the world around you, yeah. what you think and how you feel. So we don't have to do anything to induce that aspect of fasting and we consciously don't yeah. in the sense that we do not have a particular flavor of religion or belief system uh the doctors on staff all have different kinds of beliefs and whatever yeah. uh and we we carefully try to avoid injecting our own personal belief systems into our patients we respect all of their different religious belief systems and try to create a supportive environment where everybody's uh supported and we we aren't uh, trying to shove our 
uh, spiritual or religious belief systems down somebody else's throat. That's not who we are. We're not experts in how to get into heaven or what flavor of religion yeah. to believe. We're really focusing on the physical and psychological aspects of fasting and creating a safe and neutral environment where a person can come regardless of their individual beliefs and still be comfortable. Yeah, and people are going to just arrive at however it happens on their own. Yeah, all right. Uh, so on to more technical sort of uh, issues. I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in what sort of diseases this is mostly uh, effective for. Like, what, what are the biggest successes you've had? What's the typical diseases that are, are successful uh, in treatment here? Well, in general, the conditions that are caused by dietary excess are the yeah. ones most responsive, as you would expect, yeah, to yeah. fasting and dietary change. So obesity, cardiovascular disease, especially we have uh, published a number of papers on the treatment of high blood pressure. Yeah. Uh, we did a study with T. Colin Campbell from Cornell University. We took 174 consecutive patients with high blood pressure and 174 people lowered the pressure enough to eliminate medications. 100% success rate. 60 uh, uh, stage 3 hypertensives, that is people who have blood pressure of at least 180 or more, their average effect size drop was 60 points, which is the largest effect wow. ever shown in the scientific literature in treating high blood pressure in humans. <laughs> we've had a fabulous success, and we've been able to prove that fasting is the most effective way of treating high blood pressure in human beings. So there's never been any kind of medication that could even get Not even close. It's wow. not even close. But uh, fasting is the most effective treatment that... Uh, that you, there is in terms of helping normalize blood pressure. Now, in tr it's true, you still have to eat a good diet and live right in order to sustain yeah. the results long-term-wise, but for people willing to do that, and they have essential hypertension, the odds are overwhelming that they will normalize their blood pressure yeah. and eliminate the need for medication. So people with high blood pressure like that have probably got plaque in their arteries and things like that. Have you been able to measure that as well? Or? Well, we are just now, we've measured the, the net effect on blood pressure in terms of yeah. looking at biomarkers and such. We're just now beginning to be okay. able to do that yeah. uh, in conjunction with the work that we're doing with the Buck Institute and through our foundation, we're able to start identifying and yeah. looking for those. Uh, we haven't done things like Dr. Ornish did uh, angiograms, for example, because there's yeah. risks associated with those factors, and we're not willing oh, to put okay. our patients at risk by doing invasive I procedures. I didn't realize that there was a risk involved. There is. Yeah, Anytime yeah. you inject dye and do a contrast, there's a certain percentage of people that are going to have complications. Oh, so, okay. you know, I'm glad that other people are willing to do that. But with yeah. our patients, we're looking yeah. for non-invasive diagnostic markers. But fortunately, those have become available now. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. We also treat a lot of type 2 diabetes, which, yeah. as we know, is largely aggravated by... Uh, weight gain uh, and uh, poor diet and lifestyle choices. Yeah. We treat lots of autoimmune diseases, diseases where the immune system is attacking its own tissues. Yeah. So things like rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, ankylosing spondylitis, yeah. lupus, conditions like lupus. psoriasis, wow. um, uh, uh, and, and other related inflammatory conditions uh, happen to respond well to like fasting. Fibromyalgia. Yeah, yeah that's actually or? a slightly different class okay, of disease, so, yeah, but we do yeah. treat we do treat uh, people with uh, fibromyalgia and chronic pain syndrome. Yeah. So uh, and also people that just want to break bad habits, they're smoking or drinking or yeah. using drugs, and they want to get free of that. So there's a variety of conditions. We recently published a paper in the British Medical Journal on our successful treatment of a patient with lymphoma, follicular lymphoma, stage three, as a matter of fact. And this person had very large uh, externally palpable tumors. Uh, came in against her doctor's advice, underwent yeah. 21 days of fasting, resolved her tumors. We now have a two-year follow-up. We've got pre-post CT scans. Yeah. 
uh, and, and they actually published that paper, as I mentioned, the British Medical Journal. Yeah, you can I actually read I, that. Yeah, go I, on our website. We've got that. I did read that one. Published. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And, and now, since then, we've yeah. done others, and we yeah. uh, have promising results coming back in the management of this condition with other patients as well. So we're hoping to put together a cohort and actually uh, eventually do a clinical trial showing just how effective doing essentially nothing can be yeah. <laughs> at treating some of these very serious illnesses. So conditions of dietary excess often respond well to fasting and dietary change. There are other conditions that maybe don't respond as well, certain neurological conditions and other yep. problems. And so we tend not to treat those because we like to have really good results because yep. it turns out no matter how uncomfortable or tense or miserable fasting can be, if you have a really good result, you forgive us for that. Yeah. <laughs> and no I'm matter how nice we are, if you don't get a good result, you're not going to be a happy camper. So. <laughs> yeah, you've kept me away from food for three weeks and I'm still sick. Come on, what is yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> no, we prefer to have dramatic, preferably short-term results. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about the uh, the woman's doctor who advised her against coming here. Do you, do you yeah, know? Yeah, he what said he we were uh, criminal quacks. Actually, and really, he refused to release the medical records to us because he didn't deal with criminals. And wow. uh, fortunately, uh, she did very, very well. Uh, her oncologist wasn't as antagonistic. Her oncologist was a little bit more, you know, not optimistic that it would be helpful. In fact, it was interesting because. Uh, at a year, I wrote to him and I said, you know, dear doctor, so thank you so yeah. much for referring your patient for therapeutic <laughs> water-only fasting. And I'm sure that as you expected and as you know, she's gone into a remission. And we're looking forward to working with you in the years to come <laughs> yeah. in tracking this wonderful patient's long-term outcome. And because we have a paper that's been accepted for publication in the British Medical Journal, we'd like to invite you to join us as co-author of the paper. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been two years. I haven't heard from him <laughs> yet, but I'm sure it's just because he's busy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very busy, yeah. <laughs> um, so is there, can you think of a, a particular case that was even surprised you? Obviously, you expect a lot of things to... Well, I have yeah. to say I'm surprised every single day because I am the biggest skeptic and I don't believe in anything, yeah. including what I do. So yeah. it's like constantly, oh my God, it worked again. I can't believe yeah. it. <laughs> uh, I remember saying that in Australia maybe 50, 60 times during my osteopathic training. I thought, well, if this one gets well, I'll really yeah. be convinced. <laughs> I, it's just so amazing to me that doing nothing intelligently, essentially fasting, yeah. can allow the body to overcome problems that have sometimes been present for years or decades even. Yeah. It's amazing how good the body is at healing itself if you just get out of the way yeah and i think that's what this diet and lifestyle approach is is it gets out of the way yeah. it just lets the body do what it naturally would do and that's try to get yeah. well that's it that was the next thing i was going to say i spoke to a friend of mine in australia who's a doctor and and he said basically that if you the, the body knows how to heal itself it knows what to do it just needs you to get out of the way and and let it do its thing and i think fasting yeah. may be the ultimate getting out of the way yeah uh so I've recently, very recently, like in the last few days, heard about this uh, amazing sounding thing that the body makes called sirtuins, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I don't know that much. Yeah, but, have uh, you talked to Dr. Clapper I about have, all yeah, that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll give you the whole thing. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, he talked about uh, something about dropping uh, calories below 500 a day for five days and then you make these situans and they're good at fighting cancer or something. Well, we can yeah. talk about intermittent yeah. fasting. Intermittent fasting really could be called intermittent feeding because basically yeah. it involves narrowing the feeding window. Yeah. So maybe you don't eat before 10 in the morning, you don't eat after maybe five or six at night and that allows to have an increasing fasting period between uh, dinner and breakfast. So you extend that fasting window to 15 or 16 hours. One of the things that this intermittent fasting does is it reduces your total caloric intake no matter what diet you're eating. 
So people find that they eat less total calories if they narrow the feeding window. And having a higher period of uh, fasting is associated with all kinds of biochemical changes, including yeah. those that you've mentioned that might be associated with different changes. We know that uh, water fasting definitely increases IGF-1, insulin growth factor 1, and it decreases glucose as well. Yeah. The, de the reduction in IGF-1 and the reduction in glucose are associated uh, with a slowing of the aging process and improved uh, function. We know that fasting and intermittent fasting uh, decreases blood pressure, heart rate, it reduces insulin, it reduces inflammation. It increases leptin, which is the satiety hormone, so people feel more oh, okay. satisfied. Fasting increases stress resistance and adaptation. It turns out things like cancer cells don't neuroadapt well in the fasting state. Uh, that's one wow. of the, the hallmarks behind conventional treatment of cancer is that they have higher metabolic rates. They're more sensitive to radiation or chemotherapy. Ah, okay. But cancer yeah. cells are also more sensitive to the fasting state. Yeah, so right. the fasting state gives the body a selective advantage in its efforts to try to deal with it. In fact, Walter Longo at USC showed that if you took 30 rats with cancer and you give them enough chemotherapy to kill all the cancer cells, you kill all the rats. But if you fast the rats and give them the same dosing, all the rats survive and you dramatically enhance cancer-free survival. Yeah, right. So what fasting does is it makes cancer cells more vulnerable and it makes healthy cells more protected from the ravages of chemotherapy. That's why they're starting to use it in people now so, to try to so regulate you, conventional therapy. So you fast at the same time as doing chemotherapy. Oh, yeah, that's right. one of the okay. things that's been, that's been uh, is being experimented on in some quarters. In fact, now there's some money that's funding drug research because they're looking to come up with what are called fasting mimic drugs. So drugs that would make the changes in your body that fasting does, but without actually having to fast, because we know that wouldn't be practical. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, they'd have something to sell. And we're actually the benefactor of that in the sense that some of the research that we're involved with is being funded by people that want to understand the mechanisms of fasting for their own reasons. But for us, it's going to be useful because we're going to be come up with reliable biomarkers that will help yeah. us who should fast, how long to fast, when they're done that's, fasting, and be able to really publish handy, yeah. data that will show the efficacy of this approach in ways that really can't be refuted. Yeah, are there, so you talked about um, fighting cancer. Are there some cancers that aren't helped by fasting or is it just good for... Well, we don't know at this point because there's been very little research okay. done. We yep. do know that uh, conditions that we have been treating like lymphoma you know, do appear to respond yep. uh, to fasting, so we'll have to investigate that further. Um, the other thing that fasting does, and intermittent fasting might influence as well, is the gut microbiota. There's that was a, my next question. You, know, yeah. there's a, you, you have about a trillion or more cells living in your gut. That are, and you can imagine that most foreign material that goes to the body comes in through the digestive system. Yeah. And so it's not surprising to find that 70% of immune cells uh, associated with your immune system are in the digestive tract. Oh, okay. And you maintain a huge population of bacteria. And those bacteria have waste products. Some of those waste products might be valuable to you, like vitamin K and other nutrients oh, yeah. that they make give off. Others may have kind of toxic poo. And you know that's why some bacteria are so nasty. And infection is a lot of what poisons you from the bacteria is their yeah. their waste products or their or their bacterial poo, as I call it. <laughs> so if you have a lot of bacteria living in your gut, you want to have it giving off waste products that are nutritive mm. to you and positive, not negative. But that floral balance may be thrown off when you have to say take antibiotics or or eat a, a poor choice diet. And so you get a different type of microbiota growing in your gut. Now people try to take probiotics or prebiotics and, and try to alter that. But the most powerful way mm. of recalibrating the gut microbiota may turn out to be 
medically supervised water-only fasting, yeah, right. which clears the whole system out, much like uh, shutting down a corrupted computer and rebooting the hard yeah. drive. And then you get the perfect prebiotics, which is an exclusively plant food diet, yeah. and you grow the normal flora back, and now your immune system is back in function. And it may be part of the reason why we see so much improvement in many of these autoimmune-related conditions. Yeah because of healing of gut leakage and normalization of the gut microbiota that recurs yeah. as a result of fasting and a health-promoting diet. So at, at the end of a fast, you would have a, a smaller population of bacteria. That makes sense to me that you would. Actually, it was interesting to go backwards just a little bit when you talk about um, making vitamin K, because uh, I had an, a, uh, a, a very prominent low-carb uh, person in Australia uh, criticize me and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Alan's got his head in his hands now. <laughs> uh, Criticised me uh, publicly and also emailed me personally with a, a long laundry list of concerns about what I was doing. And one of them was that I wouldn't be getting vitamin K in my diet. And I responded that uh, I, the body makes its own vitamin K. I didn't know the process behind that, and I didn't. I, I was sure that he didn't need to eat animals to get vitamin K, but I didn't know how that happened so i was interested just now yeah, it happens that, that vitamin k is produced as a byproduct of bacterial production in the colon so that's yeah. a good thing you know um i don't have experience putting a patient on one food of any kind for a year so yeah. i mean that's kind of a unique uh, uh kind of a thing in our yeah. in our diets um we almost always have people including whether it's raw or cooked fruits and vegetables of a variety yeah. you know d depending on what their needs are but i have had patients who are so sensitive that there was only a very, very small number, just a few yeah. foods that they could eat at all. Yeah, okay. And of course, they do fine, and then yeah. they desensitize, and then eventually you can broaden their diet, and, yeah. and they're gonna do, do wonderful. What's interesting to me is that people would worry about you eating potatoes, yeah. but they're not gonna worry about people living on excuse, yeah. exclusively <laughs> refined carbohydrates. 25% yeah. of the sugar of teenagers in some studies comes from the sugar in soda pop yeah, alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like where, what are they yeah. thinking yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it was pretty strange to me too. That uh, And the other thing, as an aside, that we're talking about me now, but people would say, oh, if, you, uh, if you continue this, then you're going to get sick and die and all this stuff's going to go wrong. And, and I would say, oh, I could just eat other food. <laughs> like you know, if this is making me sick, it doesn't. I'm not just going to keep on going. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so well, of course, the same fears come up about our use of fasting. Um, yeah. You know, like I say, even today there are doctors that think recommending fasting to patients is criminal quackery. It's just the most ridiculous, insane thing you could possibly do. Yeah. And yet now it's becoming cutting-edge research because people are starting to recognize the benefits the body has if you get out of the way and, 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 and do this intelligently. Clearly, you have to pay attention to whatever you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, if you're on a fasting diet or you're on a potato diet, whatever it is, you, you want to pay attention. Yeah, and, and, and let the body be the guide about whether what you're doing is making sense or not. Clearly, what yeah, you yeah. did was a positive influence yeah, on your overall yeah. health and life. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, and on that paying attention, like people that are eating McDonald's three times a day, they're not getting visited by the doctor twice a day and having all these health lectures and all of that. Like no one, you know, the same doctor that says this is criminal quackery wouldn't then go and supervise their patients twice a day to make sure that their McDonald's and pizza and Coca-Cola is doing them good. But it is yeah. incumbent upon us making recommendations that are not the norm to document the efficacy of that. And that's why we're publishing yeah. papers and yeah. that's why we're trying to take it seriously and try to give people the data so they can make an informed decision about what they do or they don't want to do. Yeah, so that's on to the next thing I wanted to talk about is how do we actually get this to be more accepted by the 
by the medical population as well as the general public? Well, I think uh, publishing uh, credible data in peer-reviewed journals is, in fact, the most important thing that we're going to be able to do because it absolutely, I've already seen the effect as we've started to publish papers. Yeah. Uh, thinking physicians then start to say, oh, this makes sense to them and they're yeah. open their minds. Uh, now you'll see groups like uh, I've been at conferences now speaking to as many as 700 physicians uh, for right. continuing ed. So we know that there are people that are starting to open up their eyes and their minds to this idea of healthful living. And clearly what's being done in conventional medicine has some serious limitations. So I think times are changing, but I do think that we have to publish credible scientific data that will be compelling. Yeah. Uh, so it needs to be well done. And that's why we've put a team together here of established research scientists to help us do this right. And it's not a simple process. Uh, it's not easy to do the studies. It's not easy to get the studies published. Uh, it's not quick, fast, easy, or simple. But it is doable. Yeah. And we have consistent enough results that there's not going to be any question once people see the data that we're onto something. Here. Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to say. You keep preempting me, but uh, the, you know, the one of the important things about uh, scientific studies is that they've got to be repeatable and reproducible, Excellent. and so you're doing that as well. We are. Yeah. Uh, so... Can we have just a quick summary of a few of the studies you've done? We talked about the one with uh, the lady who uh, you, you fixed her lymphoma. Uh, well, we did, uh, we did two different papers treating cardiovascular disease, particularly hypertension. The first was medically supervised water-only fasting in the treatment of high blood pressure, and that was published over 10 years ago now in JMPT. And that was the 174 consecutive patients with high blood pressure. We published a second study a year later on the treatment of borderline hypertension. People who have high enough blood pressure that it's still causing them serious problems, but not high enough to justify the risk of medication. And those patients also responded consistently. Um, we did another paper that looked at cost effects of treating high blood pressure and diabetes in the union project that I mentioned, where we treated yeah. over 100 union members, and they found they saved more money in the first year than the entire cost of the program. It turns yeah. out it's cheaper to get people well than cut their feet off. That is one thing about this. I was, I was really surprised. It's going to sound like an infomercial now or something, but I was actually really surprised that uh, how affordable it is to be here. I was expecting it to be thousands and thousands well, of dollars. We to, are yeah. dramatically less expensive than most of the facilities in the world that offer medically supervised care of any kind. Yeah. It is, we are a 501c3 nonprofit yeah. foundation. Yeah. We get yeah. support. Uh, uh, from our uh, some very generous benefactors help us. Uh, we do have rates that we've been able to contain, and we have to do that because sometimes people have to be with us for a while. Yeah. So they need to have an affordable rate. Uh, yeah. You know, insurance doesn't cover the actual stay at the center. It will cover our, our doctor's visits and yeah. lab and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't cover staying at the center. But what we've managed to do is we've managed to keep the rates very similar to being in a hotel anywhere. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, the hotel I'm staying in is about the same price. Yeah. So $149 yeah. a night gets a person a private room and share a bath, all their meals, fasting supervision, yeah. the educational programs, everything that we do, including being seen twice a day by the staff yeah. doctors. That is uh, definitely less expensive than, than what Absolutely. kind of market rate. Well, it's cheaper in the end because I have to pay for my meals. So yeah. right. I actually <laughs> I have... Yeah. Uh, sometimes we, we, we even have some of our patients who are in town to do business, they'll, they'll find it's cheaper to stay with yeah. us than yeah, the, yeah. the alternative. So we, we have tried to make it affordable, um, and, uh, and I think that's uh, important because it, um, some people, for example, will do a fast, but they may need another fast, or they may need yeah. some more encouragement or support in ongoing uh, yeah. efforts. And so we've created a situation where people can use us in that way. 
yeah. uh, to, to try to bridge the gap between where they are and where they need to go. And yeah. it's not easy. People live in a world designed to make them fat, sick, and miserable, mm. where everything's about giving them what they want, not what they need. And what they want is to indulge in the pleasure trap and have pleasure. What yeah. they need is to learn how to enjoy their life without being caught in the pleasure trap. And that's what we try to teach people. Yeah. No, I think it's just amazing. I think it, it, there's potentially you could charge double what you do and you you could still... You could make a lot of profit, a lot more profit yeah. out of this. Than you, you definitely do, would make yeah. more profit, but yeah. what would happen is the stays would be shorter. Yeah. And so what I'd rather do is have longer stays with better results. Yeah. And you know, again, we, we don't we don't need to generate a profit. We just yeah. need to cover the operation, yeah, and yeah. we're able to do that. And I just think that's really admirable. So good on you for that. <laughs> uh, so, is there? Uh, let's if you if you had unlimited money, unlimited time, unlimited resources, is there a dream study that you would like to do, the study to end all studies that would... Uh, would yeah, we're, we're working on, on those right now, actually. Yeah, we've okay. got, we're very fortunate to have affiliations with some of the, the, the best researchers and the biggest labs in the world. So okay. I don't think that there's going to be a limiting uh, ability to begin to look at these reliable biomarkers. What we really want to do is we want to come up with a reliable set of biomarkers so you can do simple, non-invasive testing determine who's the best candidate, how long they need to go, and then demonstrate the efficacy with what we're seeing clinically. Uh, and so, I, you know, this year, uh, starting, literally, we just got a new medical doctor researcher from Italy here yesterday. Oh, okay. And uh, so she's the last piece of the team that we needed to begin actually recruiting patients. We have even a federally chartered human subjects committee now through the True wow. Health Foundation. We've got a lot of the pieces that we've spent years trying to collect all together now. So we're very excited that we'll begin uh, starting recruiting patients for these, uh, these studies. And for people that are interested in looking at the research we've already done or that we're going to do, they will be able to go to our, uh, we have a new website about to launch at fasting.org. Yeah. That currently goes to our existing website, but soon there'll be a new fasting okay. compendium website that'll open under that label. Yeah, right. And people will be able to get all the research that's been done in fasting along with our commentary and the information yeah. on the work that we're doing. And also, so, if they want to participate in a study, there'll be the ability to register through right. fasting.org. So this will probably not be online until a month or six weeks' time. Do you by, think then it will, by then, yeah. we'll, the newest version of the website will be launched. Okay, awesome. All right, another a little self-indulgent question. So last year was, I'm spud fit, right? Last year was the year of spuds. This year, I want to make it the year of fit. Is there... Do you know of any sort of adaptation that comes from fasting that can be a good uh, thing for athletes? Yeah, it yeah. turns out that most of the positive uh, biomarkers that change with exercise also change with fasting. Oh, right. It's really quite fascinating. Yeah. And in fact, we have a, we have a fabulous guy on staff here. His name, um, he's an um, exercise physiologist and a fitness trainer, David Goldman. Yeah. And he's been really... Uh, He's very interested in the research that we're doing and tying all this together. Yeah. And it just there's so much overlap that when you look at the biochemical changes with one, it also correlates with the other. Yeah. It's just, you know, both the Alzheimer's prevention biomarkers, the many of the fitness biomarkers. It's uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. So... Oh, that's I find that amazing. Is there is there something I could incorporate into my life somehow then in fasting, like one day a week, a few days a month? What what would it be? Well, what I would recommend for people that want to do something on their own, the intermittent fasting is probably the most relevant, and that you can read an article on our website at healthpromoting.com by Dr. Jennifer Morano, and she goes through all the things you can do safely on your own 
in terms of narrowed feeding windows, et cetera. Yeah. When it comes to medically supervised water fasting, we recommend that be done in a contained environment, water only yeah. fasting with exam monitoring. And But the intermittent fasting can often yeah. be done safely. Is, is there, like, what if I just did one day of water only? Is that something you still need to I supervise? I wouldn't recommend, yeah. it's not that you need supervision yeah. for that, yeah. but I wouldn't yeah. recommend one day water only fasting because yeah. the most expensive part of fasting biologically is the first couple of days. Yeah. And so you're, you're spending a lot of... Uh, uh, things biologically without necessarily getting the benefit okay. that you're looking for. You'd yeah. be better yeah. off doing the intermittent fasting, and then when you need to fast, fast however long it takes to yeah. get the job okay. done. Yeah, okay, okay. That makes sense. All right, uh, last couple of questions. Do you have, oh, I guess we've already talked about goals for True North. I was going to ask you about what your goals are for True North, but you've talked about the, uh, the, the studies that you're working on, so that probably covers it, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah we, have, um, we do want to continue to expand the True North Health Foundation, We've got a number of studies that we want to work on. We've become yeah. basically a um, human subjects laboratory. Yeah. And so we're now other researchers are coming to us with their fasting-related questions, and we can recruit patients and we can conduct the fasting for them, which for them would be very difficult and very expensive. But our foundation will make that happen, and then they, with their access to laboratory evaluations and publishing, can collaborate with us, and we can get this data out there yeah. Uh, in a way that they or us alone wouldn't be successful at doing. And that's how we've been able to f form partnerships with the Buck Institute yeah. and Luigi Fontana at Washington University. So we'd like to see other people interested in conducting fasting-related research to know that we're a very useful tool for yeah. them yeah. Uh, at the True North Health Center. Um, and we also, we're always looking for uh, doctors that want to do something worthwhile with their life. And they yeah. can come and join us on our staff and help us fulfill our mission yeah. both clinically and scientifically. Yeah, okay. I've got a friend who I reckon would be interested. <laughs> anyway, uh, last question. Uh, Donald Trump rings you up later today and says, I want you to be the Surgeon General. What would you, what, well, what would you, what sort of policy, one policy would you like to implement as the Surgeon General of the US to... Well, what I would do is I'd actually defer to my colleagues, either Michael Clapper or John McDougall, who yep. I think would be much more suited to be yep. in a political position like that. And yep. I would uh, defer to their judgment okay. about the yep. best way to implement policy. But here's the thing. The way it is right now, we can talk about one-payer systems and two-payer systems, and, yep. and it's not going to matter. Because right now we're breeding a generation of future diabetics in our children. Yeah. And the diabetes, in, even in kids, is increasing geometrically. And what's going to happen is you're going to have a crushing overload. That is, it's not going to matter what type of healthcare system you have in place. It's going to crush it unless we start teaching health promotion. Yeah. So the goal with disease management is to prevent disease, and that comes from diet and lifestyle change. Unfortunately, not enough attention is being directed at that, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I think that whatever we do with our healthcare systems, we need to start emphasizing the fact that health is the result of healthful living. Yeah. And unless people choose to live healthfully, it's not going to make a whole lot of difference what kind of political system we come up with. It's going to, it's going to be very disappointing. Yeah, yeah. My, a new friend of mine, Dustin Rudolph, is uh, the plant-based pharmacist. We were talking about this yesterday, and, and he said that basically it doesn't matter what kind of healthcare system we get. Uh, it's, it's not going to be enough because people are not healthy. Well, the only way to fix the healthcare system is to make a healthy population. It doesn't matter what kind of political policies we put in. And you know, if yeah. everybody adopted a health-promoting diet and lifestyle, 
it wouldn't be problematic providing the necessary inevitable emergent care that's necessary because yeah. bad things happen to good people even doing the right thing sometimes yeah. <laughs> but the amount the demand for care would be so dramatically reduced yeah. that we could afford to provide excellent quality medical care when it was actually necessary to everybody that needed it yeah but no. right now all the medical care we're providing to very wealthy people that can afford to get it isn't necessarily doing them that as much good as we want. And so just even if we provide that to people that aren't having as good a means, it, that doesn't mean that that's going to help them get healthier either. Yeah. If it doesn't work in the rich, it's not going to necessarily work in the poor. What we need yeah. to do for everybody is adopt healthful living. That means diet, sleep, exercise, healthful living habits are the key to health. So simple. I think that's a, a good place to finish it. Uh, so thank you very much for having me here. It's, uh, it's a, been a real pleasure to sit down and talk with you. And uh, it, it sort of, in a, in a way, it feels like homecoming here to, a, to be in a place full of, uh, of health and people that are trying to you know, do the right things. I wouldn't have said that a year and a half ago, but I, it really does feel good to be here. So thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and wisdom. And uh, just, uh, just to finish off, can you tell people where they can find you if they want more information? Where should they look? Sure, they can go to our website at www.healthpromoting.com. All right. Uh, and read the book, The Pleasure Trap. It was one of my favorites. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And spot up. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, it was, a, it was a, like I said before, it was an honor and a privilege to be able to sit down with a, a man who's been so influential in, uh, in the health, good health movement. Uh, also, for the intro and outro, I forgot to say that we live across the road from a building site at the moment, so you might get a bit of background noise with power tools going on and stuff like that, but, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about that. This is the beauty of podcasting, I guess. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, that was, uh, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And, uh, if you want to know more about, uh, the things that we talked about, then go to spudfit.com and, uh, and you can find the show notes on there in the, in the blog slash podcast, uh, section of the page. Just look for the Alan Goldhammer episode and there'll be, oh, I'll do my best to get links to all the things we talked about and put them in there. So you can, uh, you can further your learning that way. Uh, so that's that. Again, if you want to support me and what I'm doing, the best thing you can do is subscribe to this on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, leave a review and uh, and tell all your friends about it. That'd be most helpful and appreciated. Also, you can uh, you can take the challenge yourself at spudfit.com. Click on the Take the Challenge link to join a guided Spudfit Challenge group with guidance by me. It's, uh, I'm really proud of that group. It's a great atmosphere in there and full of really helpful people and, of course, lots of help and advice from me. And Also, you can find my book, The DIY Spudfit Challenge, a how-to guide to doing your own Spudfit Challenge. That's available on my website and also on Amazon. So get your hands on a copy of that if you're interested. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it for me. Uh, tune in next week for a really great uh, mind-blowing conversation. Well, mind, blew my mind anyway with, uh, with Dr. Doug Lyle, the co-author of the book I mentioned earlier, which was uh, The Pleasure Trap along with Alan Goldhammer. So 
uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed today. Uh, I hope you enjoy your lives and spot up. <laughs>